0: Hey, it's Josh Carey, the hidden entrepreneur. Why is that? Well, I spent 40 years hiding. That's right, showing up in every situation, hiding my true talent, my true ability in exchange for seeking the approval of others. No more of that. I'm now on a mission to help those do exactly what you've always known is possible. This is how it's done. It's an understatement for me to say that I'm sitting down with truly one of the most fascinating people I to date have met. And my goal in this conversation is to prove that statement and hopefully get you on board to what I'm fascinated with, because as my guest knows, there is so much to your story, and to even just call it a story is is just, it's almost underwhelming. Uh, I'm here with Koss Marte. First of all, how are you doing, Koss?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Josh.
0: Likewise. I'm glad uh, we're making time for this conversation. We both attended, uh, probably um, a month plus ago at the time of this recording, um, an anniversary bash that Gary Vee held. And um, we were both invited to the, to the virtual event and it was great. And then following that, they gave us a list of people who were in the room and said, hey, if you want to have at it, go at it. So I, um, I reached out to some people and, and you were one of them least of which was because of the name of your, of your current venture, ConBody. Yeah. There's, there's something inherently amazing and wonderful with that. And then as you dig into what it is and what it means, it's just, it's just great. So let's start there. Tell us what ConBody is.
1: Yeah, so Calm Body is a prison-style cardio strength training workout, uh, which is perfectly suitable for those who live in small, constrained spaces. And what we do is hire people coming out of the prison system to teach these fitness classes.
0: How perfect is this? There's, there's, that could keep us busy for an hour of conversation. Um, just the fact that you, you obviously, and we'll get to this story, you spent, uh, what was it, close to seven years in prison? Uh, six years. Yep. Six years. Spent six years in prison. We're going to get to all that. And through that, you now take formerly incarcerated individuals and train them to be the personal trainers of ConBody, which is a personal training program for people like me, right, who who, who can use their own body weight with nothing more than a, a small room and and work out. And as you've said, uh, achieve that prison body you've always desired.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: Right? That's right. Now, I heard you say that on one of the TEDx stages you've been on. Let me just set the stage. To date, you've been on uh, multiple TEDx stages. You did a talk at Google. You've been on Gary Vee's show, CNBC profile, BuzzFeed profile, on and on and on. Right? What did I miss off of your your, your wonderful media tour that you just want to throw into the mix that you're proud of? Uh,
1: I think the, the, one of the biggest ones was definitely like the the Buzzfeed taking them inside prison. So if you haven't watched that, that that's their first like documentary that they've ever done. Um, and then the vice video was pretty crazy. Uh, yeah. Just, you know, sharing my whole journey from growing up in the Lower East side to, you know, where I'm at right now.
0: So one of the headlines that I read was, um, I was a teenage drug lord, right? Yeah. And now you're turned this extraordinary business person and entrepreneur and mission driven, which again, there's, this is what I'm saying. There's so much to who you are and what you do. Um, I want to start with mindset, I want to figure out from you how much that played and at what point it played. Specifically, you were a successful business person, right? Who happened to be selling drugs, right? But every bit of business person selling drugs. And then you were incarcerated and now you're on the other side of that at what point could you pinpoint that there's going to be a successful future outcome for you? Uh,
1: I think, you know, my, my meaning of like hustling and being successful is like just living a long, healthy life. But in terms of like reaching my goals, I feel like you know, making Combody where it is right now is just, you know, just continuing to show up and trusting the process and delivering a great product. And I feel like I took those transferable skills that I learned from the streets. You know, I was out there 24 hours a day, uh, basically slept on, you know, when I was in uh, on the street, I was just in a milk crate, sitting on a milk crate in the corner store, you know, and selling crack and Coke and, uh, I didn't start by making millions of dollars at 19. I was making over $2 million a year, but I, I was making a, maybe a hundred bucks a day. At, and when I started, you know, and I was sitting there, but I remember like showing up every single day, delivering a great product. And then eventually it started popping, you know, like the word started spreading the word of mouth was out there and it became, you know, something bigger than it was. And and I, I took that same mentality and put it in a, on a legal sense an a legal business, and with combody, I had no investment i start I literally started in the park i mm. uh, I basically started going up to females wearing yoga pants, telling them I got a you know business idea, and like i 'm training people in the park and so uh this is where it started, and I continued showing up every single day and and it went from like one to two people, five people. And, and then after that, it became a group. And then I opened up my facility, and, and today we trained over 60,000 people.
0: Wow. So, the business of Combody and the business of selling drugs. Um, I know you just said that you went to women in yoga pants. So, for the entrepreneur listening, that's a standard business practice, right? Identifying your target ideal client. And that's who, so, so you just inherently or instinctively knew that, oh, if a woman is wearing yoga pants, that probably suggests that she is active and wants to take care of her body. Like, like was that sort of what you were putting you know, into
1: place? You know, when I, when I went inside in the Lori, like before going into prison, the Lori side, I I'd never seen anybody run down the street. You know, nobody was jogging, nobody was working out. And when I came out, I'm like, Holy shit! Like everybody's working out, you know. <laughs> like it was just you, you didn't see people jogging down the street down here, you know. And and then I became like aware of like, hey, this is the the target market I have to go after. You know, they're they're working out. Um, wow. I'm doing this workout in the park, and and that was it. You know, I quickly identified it.
0: And then you also identified. Um, while you were on the street selling drugs, when you started getting your groove, you knew that you wanted to sell to a more affluent demographic, right? You made that conscious choice?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So well, growing up, um, I, didn't have, I didn't make that conscious choice. I sold drugs to people that I knew. People mm. that were drug addicts in the neighborhood that were buying crack and mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to crack houses and all that stuff. And then as the neighborhood started gentrifying, I saw that there was more money. I remember them opening up the first like, like hipster bars in the early 2000s down here. And now there's not a block that you could go down where you don't see a bar. But uh, back then there was only a few. And so I started going in here and I was wearing, actually I was wearing a suit uh, at times. And I was like, went up to people telling them I got a 24 hour drug delivery service and I sell blow. and here's my card and uh, you could contact me anytime. So that was it. Like I would give people a, sam- a sample at the bar. I would see that they're drunk. They, you know, I would offer them weed and, and then from weed I'd be like, Hey, I, I also got Coke, you know, and here you go. And the, the word of mouth just spread like crazy.
0: What in the world was on your business card? <laughs>
1: It actually said Happy Endings, uh, and so we we got that name. It was br- bad branding, first of all, because uh, <laughs> we were getting calls for other stuff, and we were like, no, we don't perform none of that. <laughs> <laughs> but there was, like, a real Happy Endings um, on the block that I grew up on, on Broom and Eldridge, uh, and Broom and Uh There was, like, a few, like, underground Asian spots, but there was one spot – that was there, uh, that got shot down by the cops mm. and it turned into a bar and the bar called it happy endings. Mm. And so that became like the first, one of the first like hipster bars that came to the neighborhood and I was just posted up. I had to deal with the bouncer and, and I basically made the card based off of the name of the location. And like everybody that was coming was like, Hey, you got that happy endings card or, you know, where the happy ending guy is, uh, and the the bouncer used to like point at me because I'll be on the corner, you know, dealing. Wow. Uh, and from there, we just took it like that. We, we changed up the name. We called it Party Services after a while, but that was it.
0: Party Services. Yeah. A little more direct.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: so you at 13 started selling drugs, weed you were selling at 13 yeah. And then you stuck with that through your later teenage years, right? And then it just evolved and escalated into uh, other drugs.
1: At 14, I started selling Coke. Uh, wow. And it was it was just like a, a, a supply and demand. I was literally one of the kids that was just out there in the corner selling weed. And then uh, I remember the Coke there was a coke dealer that was on the corner and the coke dealer stepped out of the spot i'm standing there by myself and this guy comes up to me and is like yo i need two bags and i'm like okay he's gonna be back real quick you know and he's like nah nah i need it now can you get it for me and so he gave me the money i went down to the next corner where they had another coke dealer i got that from a discount because i knew him wow and then i made a profit and then from there i was like hey i i got the profit margins are we're larger the cocaine business, that, the marijuana business, so uh,
0: that was what, a, what was your schooling like? Were you going to school? Were you pretending to go to school? What was happening there?
1: Yeah, I was going to school. School came really easy for me. Um, I went to a junior high school that was like way advanced. It was a, it was a Catholic junior high school at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. It was run by these these Jesuit priests uh was called nativity and so i i pretty much learned everything i needed to learn there that i learned in high school you know i I already knew how to deal with algebra i was already like doing like pre-cal yeah at a very early age i learned like my times tables when i was in second grade you know uh so my mom was also a school teacher in the dominican republic um and so she was very, like, educated. Believed like, education was number one. And, you know, just taught me stuff before they even taught, taught it to me in school. So I was, like, you know, I was getting A's all the time. Um, really? Wow. Until I was, like, until I just started. Uh, and I always hung out in the street. But I also was, uh, was driven by money. And I saw like the guys on the block, and I had older cousins that were there, you know, and I would like see them wearing the chains, hanging out with the girls in the cars and all that stuff. And I felt like that was success at the time. And mm. that's what I wanted to be, you know.
0: You were arrested for the first time at 13? At 13, yeah. So that was sort of right at the beginning of your career, right? What happened there?
1: Yeah, I was, I started smoking at 11 and I oh, wow. was like dealing around then. I, you know, my, the kids at, at my junior high used to tell me like, Hey, get, you know, give me, I'll give you a couple of dollars, go to your cousin and get, you know, a bag of weed for me. And so I became that supply and demand again. And it was just like, all right, I'm going to just buy an ounce when I was 13. I saved up a hundred bucks and got it from my cousin. And then I split it up and I started selling it and, wow. and this is where it started. But, um, yeah, I mean, at 13, I got arrested. Uh, I literally had a beeper, and I remember getting a beep by this, ki- this guy named Chuck, and Chuck hits me up, and, um, and I go meet him in the park. And, and so we were there, and he buys two bags of weed, and then I, I, he's like, yo, you want to smoke one with me? And so uh, mm-hmm. I roll it up for him, and as I'm rolling it up, I, I lit it up, and I'm walking down. The block with him in inside the park and they just quickly tackled me some undercover cops and just really? took me on the ground and uh and arrested me
0: now your brother your brother your younger brother was there at the time to witness this
1: yeah my brother was nine at the time okay and so he saw me uh getting arrested and he he claims that 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 time was like his wake up moment that he didn't want to be part of like what I was doing.
0: Okay.
1: Uh he got really shooken up by the cops. He was scared. Uh I remember he <laughs> it's just funny is like he, you know, he tried to save me. And they they actually let me go from the precinct um and they, you know, I, I got I got off with a clean slate really? at the time. Um they didn't catch me selling weed. They they basically caught me with possession of marijuana. Wow. Um and so basically, my brother, like at the time, he was like crying hysterically because I, they they he, they had me on the ground on my knees mm. with handcuffs, and he was like, "Please let my brother go! Come on, please!" And then he had like a little jacket on, and he opens up the jacket, and he actually had a dare shirt on, and he, and he screams at the undercover officers, and they started laughing. And I started laughing. He's like, "I'm part of the dare program! Come on!" I I, I he please please help my brother and so
0: for those that don't know the dare program is a uh, a drug awareness program right
1: yeah yeah it was like back in the 90s they or in late 80s as well as they used to like bring an officer to the to the schools and they used to teach mm-hmm. you about like you know drug awareness and it was like this whole campaign against it was like the the Reagan era mm-hmm. where they i think nancy reagan came up with the the their say program, no to drugs the, the, right uh, drugs yeah and, wow and then, right from that
0: what was the relationship at least f- to this point in your life between you and your mother did she know anything did she really know but looked the, the other way
1: no my mom didn't know until i got arrested at that time when mm. I was 30, um because they contacted her and uh she didn't believe it um but she was so busy at work. She had she always had multiple jobs. Oh. She was like just trying to make ends meet and you know, feed us and, and live life, you know. And so um she didn't know at the time. And then uh I don't know. She was she was mad, you know, she was mad, but I, I didn't care at the time. I I don't know. I, I thought I was like uh you know, when you're a teenager sometimes you think you're grown and you can handle things on your own. Mm. And and I, as a kid, I always asked her for stuff, but she couldn't, you know, her number one excuse is she couldn't afford it. So for me, wow. it was, I wanted to provide for myself and I wanted to be, you know, I didn't want, I didn't want to be that kid with the cheap sneakers in school with the holes in, in the shirts because that's how I grew up. You know, I would get hand me downs or really wow. mom would get stuff from the Salvation Army or donations, you know, and that's the stuff we wore, you know. So I wanted to, I wanted to have, better things
0: prior to 11 years old and 13 years old and beyond prior to that do you remember what you saw for your future did you have any what you wanted to be when you grew up did you ever have those dreams
1: um definitely i I was i loved baseball at the time um i was like yankee fanatic Uh, i remember like collecting baseball cards like actually I used to steal baseball cards from the economy candy store. And I actually gave them a couple hundred bucks uh, when I came out of prison. Uh, <laughs> I was like, this is paid back, I'm making amends to everybody. Oh, wow. But I, I was, I was a big fan of baseball. You know, I wanted, uh, that's what I wanted to do. You know, I, I was, I loved like Wade Boggs at the time. Um, you know, and then, then uh, Jeter came in 96 and Bernie and Tino Martinez were like, you know, that's the, that's what I wanted to do. But around that time, I remember Giuliani was mayor, you know, he, he basically promoted like to cut school, to go to the parade. And, uh, and we all cut school and went to the parade downtown when they won in 96. And Mm. that was just a crazy time, you know? And I I feel like that was like my turning point where I, I stopped like refocusing on sports and just started like, you know, heading down that road where I was just hanging out more in the streets. You know, I was playing sports here and there, but I was more focused on, on being out there. So
0: the, the core of your teenage years, 14 to 19, that's when, <clears throat> excuse me, that's when you were, you were selling harder drugs, right? You were selling Coke and, yeah, I was selling
1: you know, coke and crack. Uh,
0: and then you, you really built So that was like a, a five year strong uh, stretch there, but you really earned literally millions from that. What were you doing with the money that you made? What does a teenager do with that kind of
1: money? I mean, just stupid stuff. You know, is was, it? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I was just spending so much money on cars and flaunting and and clothing and. And we would travel, and I would take all my friends to, like, you know, let's go to Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico for the week, and wow. you know, rent out hotel rooms and go to the casino and drink. It was just like we did whatever the hell we wanted, you know, and it felt like every day was a movie, you know. There was always something that was crazy that happened, and it wouldn't happen if we didn't have the resources or money to do it, you know.
0: Can you give us one of your favorite stories that, as you said, happened, it was like a movie, but shouldn't have happened?
1: Uh, I guess a little bit more appropriate <laughs> story, but like, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, one one famous story is about uh, me and my, my partner at the time, we, we rented out a, a horse and carriage from Central Park. Uh, and in Central Park, they're not allowed to go under like Forty Seventh Street or something like that. Okay. Um, and we were like offering all the the riders, like, "Hey, can you like ride us down?" We we took an e pill at the time. We were bugging. We paid the guy. We paid this lady five thousand dollars, and we started rolling down like Fifth Avenue in a horse and carriage all the way to like the McDonald's. Uh, to Delante and, and we brought it to the block and all the kids on the block were like feeding the, the horse like carrots and apples and wow. uh, it was pretty crazy and and we're like wearing main coats and just looking like like fake pimps you know and and while we're, while we're riding it we're actually like selling drugs off, out of it you know we're we basically like wow had a whole delivery service at the time. So while we we're riding, we were getting calls and we were telling people like, hey, meet us on 2035th. We're, we're on the corner with a horse and carriage. <laughs> so, you we know, are like running up to the horse and carriage. We will make an exchange on the middle of the street and keep riding down, you know? So that was that was a crazy time.
0: Your mom at this point had to have known something's happening, right? What,
1: what? Uh, yeah, my mom knew like, I was full force on the street when wow. I was uh, I actually did a, a year in prison in Juby when I was fifteen. Um and so at the time I was on probation. I violated mm. probation. I got caught with e pills at the time, weed. Wow. And uh and so I got I got sent you know, sent away. So
0: did she have any conversations with you? Like you gotta clean up or were those just moot?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. She would say things like that um but it would just go one inside one ear and out the other you know it was just like all right whatever did you
0: think you were invincible definitely like this is like hey this is my terms i'm gonna decide when i'm exiting
1: yeah yeah, I, I had no idea. I had no thought at the time that I, was, I wanted to exit. You know? Right, but
0: Which, it was just like, I'm going to ride this out for a while.
1: Yeah, I'm going to do this. And I'm young and I could do it, you know, and I'm I'm making good money. I'm having fun. My friends are there, you know, so like, that was my mentality. Yeah.
0: And then you had one of the things I don't want to get lost on is that um you had turned this and, and i guess at this point it's like that but you were you were playing the role that you wanted in that you were wearing suits and ties right and your crew same so you you put on this perception of who you were and who you wanted to serve right tying it back to the same as any other business right you have to sort of be the person and play the part and look the part
1: yeah yeah, everybody, you know, we were pre doing that. We were just like hanging out, wearing baggy jeans, long t-shirts. We would have it like a hat turned backwards. We look stereotypically like we we're up to no good. <laughs> <laughs> and we were getting stopped. We, there was times we were getting stopped three, four times a day, you know, getting yanked out of our car, uh, you know, wow. getting thrown out in the streets, being searched, um, we had stash stash spots in in the car, so they wouldn't find it. You, you had know, what? Stash uh, stash spots, you know, where we put wow. drugs in, okay. uh, where where cops wouldn't find it, so we would get away a lot. But wow. literally, I've been probably pulled over over a couple hundred times, you know,
0: because of how you looked.
1: Looked, and then we were also doing reckless stuff. Okay. You know? <laughs> I was also like taking red lights. I was, you know, I was just doing dumb yeah. stuff or just crazy stuff.
0: And then why the upgrade to you're going to wear suits, all your people are going to wear suits, and this is how we're going to represent.
1: It was an idea that I came up with uh, when I was 18. And so at 18, I got, I got rearrested hmm. uh, and I had to go to court. And so my lawyer was like, you know, dressed nice. And so I wore like a suit. And so I, when I went into court, actually, it's walking distance from where I live, you know, That's it's amazing. about a mile. And so I, I was walking and I remember like people not noticing me, you know, I, I, everybody in the neighborhood knows me. And so there were, there were people I'd be like, yo, what's good? And they'd be like, oh shit, yo, where are you going? You know, uh, like it's you. What are you going court? Yeah. I'm, you know, and so uh, I started getting that perception that I was going to do something right, even though I was going to court <laughs> and something uh, clicked. Yeah. And I was like, yo, I told all my friends, I told my boy Joey, I was like, yo, we got to wear, we got to wear suits. Nobody's going to know what we're doing, you know? And so we like, wow, literally went to uh Holy crap. Wow. Uh, we, went to, we went to Ralph Lauren at the time and we actually bought like 20 pieces of suits. Like, got fitted everything and like and we had all all our suits done for the week you know and so we then we had all our drivers we started buying clothes for them and and that was the dress code you know like you have to dress up you can't go out there and then we started like telling people like hey you can't work with us unless you have a GED or high school diploma you know and so you you had to like present yourself you had to shake your hand correctly you had to like be more presentable, you know?
0: A freaking business, it's a business you're running.
1: It was crazy, it was crazy.
0: That's amazing. And then at, at 19, is that when um, stuff fell apart?
1: Yeah, uh, well, at 23. 23. Every, at 23 is when everything uh, ended. Uh, with, I, was sent- I was sentenced to seven years in prison.
0: And that um, was because of a uh, a terrible incident with your manager and all that went south, right? And that led to the stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, They basically tapped my phone. Wow. A phone that one of my managers was running um, that he was trying to steal customers away from me Mm. with. And long story short, you know, they tapped it. They were like investigating me for about a year. Mm. Uh, They had about close to 40 direct sales from our drivers. Uh, and they were basically trying to get me to sign big, you know, they, they were consistently asking that they wanted a large amount of drugs. And so in New York state, if you get caught selling less than an eight ball you it's considered a, a C felony, you know, it starts with a B, but you cop out to the C. Um, but anything above two ounces, it's, it becomes a a felony, and you could get put away for a long time. And, and that's so, what
0: they were requesting.
1: Yeah, we never we never sold that. I already knew that rule, you know, from the laws and me right. being out, you know, I knew the guidelines and all that stuff. And so I'm like, we always had people, you know, just carry a, a little bit less than that, you know, meet that guideline. Um, but when I got arrested, they caught me with a kilo and a half, and tons of cash and all the, all this stuff. And so did hit me with the a felony um because i surpassed them out that
0: how did you how did the arrest take place physically where and where was it
1: yeah so i was actually in the bronx uh we had a stash house up there and um that day i remember like we had these next tell walkie talkies and so i'm like sending all our drivers at the time i was doing like the, the dispatching that day and so I'm sending all my drivers over to the destinations. Uh, I had about 25 locations that they had to meet. And um, none of them were answering their phone after they told me that they were going. Oh, wow. And so like the customers kept calling like, hey, where's the driver? Where's the driver? I've been waiting. And I'm like, he's going to be there in 10 more minutes. He's going to be, you know, and so people are anxious. I'm mm. like trying to hit up the driver. And and I don't know if you remember what the next Yeah, yeah, of see, course. And it, yeah. it would go beep beep and so i thought it was uh, some technical issue but what was happening was that every time i sent them to that destination the cops were picking them up
0: wow so because they were listening in on
1: yeah the dea wow A- so your
0: drivers were getting picked off one by one
1: one by one and so at the time uh nine of them got picked up mm. and And so I was like, fuck this, I'm gonna go and do this myself. Like we have, I have all these people waiting for hours now, you know? I'm So I go up to the Bronx, I go up to the stash house and I pick up about a hundred bags of Coke. And I'm like, I'm gonna go out and do the deliveries myself. Wow. And as soon as I came out, they just, there was a detective, his name was Joseph King. Uh, He was a DEA agent. He was like, this is the feds the whole operation is over. And I'm, I look at him and I'm like, the fuck, guy, who the hell is you? So, like, <laughs> only, only white guy in that neighborhood. I'm talking about like hunts point, you know, like you don't <laughs> see people like that around there. So, um, so I turned around on him. I, I, I tried to get away and they just quickly tackled me on top of my car. Uh, they cuffed me and they showed me the search warrant. They brought oh. me upstairs. Um, when I get upstairs, they basically find all the drugs. You know. And-
0: what was the the those moments? Was there was there a surrender? And you're like, ah, this is it. I'm gonna have to pay for this for a little while. Or were you like, I'll get through this. This is. I'll, I'll be back on the street in a week.
1: No, I no, nah, I knew I was not gonna be out. <laughs> you I, knew. Yeah. Nah, you I, knew. I, I just knew when they they caught me with the amount of drugs that I got caught with um, that I was going to be done.
0: What was the original, um, you know, early on emotion? Were you, uh, was it all the north, like you were angry, you were pissed off, or, or were you just like, ah, all right, I'll, I'll figure this one out. Uh,
1: I always have the the mentality that I'm going to figure it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty optimistic. And at that time I was like, I don't know. I just had a F it attitude and I was like, you know what, I got I started this. I'm going to, I got to do the time. I wow. got to take responsibility for it. And, and I just got to get ready for prison now, you know? And so, um, hmm. I remember at the time I was in the precinct and in my wallet, I actually had 10 pieces of acid and, uh, and and i was taking i was taking acid like every once in a blue but i had it just sitting there and so uh they gave me my my wallet they take all my all my credit cards they bank out they they close my bank accounts all that stuff and um and i remember opening up my wallet and the 10 pieces of a sheet sheet assets are there and so I, I i pop all of them and so what? yeah i start like tweaking out and just start laughing hysterically you know and taking everything as a joke and uh and i remember they they found out i was on acid and and the judge was like you know are you facing like 12 to 24 years uh, we're charging with the kingpin status like you know your whole operation is done and like you know and and you're high right and he's like you're on acid and he started doing this you know like wait and i'm like I'm just there smiling, I'm like, shoot, you know? and uh, yeah, that was it you know
0: so you went in what what good came from prison?
1: yeah, definitely the good of you know what I created now, you know the my business that i I started um, coming out of prison um, you know I, prison is not good, you know uh there's not there's not a lot of rehabilitation programs, mm. no staff members going in there caring or helping you out, you know, uh, it's on
0: you personally. Everything is your personal
1: yeah, it's responsibility.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a punishment and it should be more of a corrective, you know, opportunity to like rechange your life around. It. And that's how I feel. But, um, yeah, I went in there and I, that's when I really found out I had a lot of health issues. And so I, I guess that was like the biggest thing is that I found out that, you know, I had uh, my cholesterol levels were through the roof and I could have probably died of a heart attack, you know, because I was not eating correctly. I was smoking and I was drinking, I was partying too much. I was really overweight and, and yeah, I just, you know. I found that out while I was in there because if I was on the street, I would never find that out. You know, I was going to continue the lifestyle I was living.
0: Isn't it amazing that it, isn't it as if prison saved your life?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's very true.
0: So you were, you were in prison. And what I love about this now current part of your story is how on multifaceted, not only creating con body which is extraordinary in so many ways in and of itself but you're also an advocate for the those incarcerated and what should and could happen on their way out right because i know your story is that you've when when you were out you had to check that damn box right that said yes i'm a felon and that ended the conversation before it even started
1: yeah yeah, I mean, I literally went to dozens of shops on, you know, Herald Square, Times Square, like all the retail spots. I, I came home just trying to find any job I could find. And every time I handed over that application, you know, that stated on the second line, have you ever been convicted of a felony? It was like first name, last name. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? And it was like, yes, here you go. And
0: Wow. And I remember
1: like handing that over and like the managers would look at it and we like, look at me and we're going to call you back. And I never got a call back, you know, I never mm. even started those conversations. Um,
0: so then you were able to in prison, create the concept of con body, right? In fact, you were doing it for others, right? You were, you created it in prison and then was able to take it out and make it uh what it is today?
1: Yes. Yeah, so while I was in in solitary confinement, I actually came up with the idea of combating So I I lost seventy pounds in six months, and then I I helped over twenty inmates lose over a thousand pounds combined. So I took that same workout method that I implemented on myself, and I started doing it with other guys in the yard. And I didn't think I was going to start a business behind it. It was just like, hey, we're building a camaraderie, we're working out, holding each other accountable, we're getting money, you know, and so we just kept doing it, and kept doing it, and uh, it was not until I ended up in solitary, where I was in an altercation with an officer, that I I came up with, you know, the whole concept, and I I remember while I was in 24-hour lockdown, I was just, like, staring at the wall, like, picturing that I was going to train, you know, people on the street, and just, like, reenacting what I wanted to do and uh just envisioning stuff you know and I was bored out of my mind I had nothing else to do I'm there with my thoughts by myself I couldn't talk to anybody so I'm doing this you know and uh and I came home and I, I started doing it you know I just started doing started with one person uh one of my first clients, whether was my mom, she was not paying, but she gave me a discount uh, on the rent of her couch. (laughs) Mm. Uh, And so I started training her and um, then I got a neighbor involved and then, you know, I started getting people off the streets. Um, That was it.
0: And the name, when did the name come to you?
1: The the name came uh, probably uh, a year out. Okay. A year and a half out. And so I, in the beginning, I, I was calling it prison-style work bootcamp. Uh, boot camp.
0: Okay. And,
1: and then I wanted – so and I was, it was called cost athletics. And then at the, our tagline was prison-style boot camp. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to be more upfront about it. And so we, we just started brainstorming. And I started thinking about, like, I always thought I wanted the name Confit. You know that—that's the first name I actually came up with, Confit, and then the brand Confi was taken, <laughs> and it was selling the URL for like sixty thousand dollars. And I'm like, "Fuck that! I'm, i i got to come up with another name." And so um, that's when I came up with the other name. And then I was like, "I want something a con," and then that's it was great On body.
0: Wow. So you—you you envisioned it. Are you a, or have you become a spiritual person who understands energy and vibrations and our, our mindset and what we think about, we can manifest and have, was that part of it?
1: Uh, I guess, but I'm not like a person that's going to be deep. I'm not deep in it. You know, I'm not like, even though I would love to, you know, Meditate more often, or you know, do more spiritual stuff. Um, but um, I live day to day, and I you know don't stress what I can't control, and that's the the mindset that I you know move move on with. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I I'm not I'm not that very spiritual person. Uh, mm-hmm. I do believe in a higher power. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, that's that's who I am.
0: And today, your your location for Combody is actually where in relation to where you were prior on the streets selling? So we,
1: we, uh, we actually moved from there. So we're, we're a couple blocks down now in a bigger location. But when I first opened up the first facility of Combody, it was at the exact same corner where I sold drugs at.
0: And literally, we were, literally.
1: Literally on the same corner. Uh, we were operating on a <laughs> basement. That, there's actually a Buddhist temple there and we were, uh, operating in the basement of a Buddhist temple. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, went back to a full circle and, and, and I didn't choose it on purpose. It was the fact that I was like looking for space. I had raised all this money, made all the money, you know, I I had about $120,000 in the bank. Um, and I was looking for a space to like a rent and start a business. And so, uh, every landowner was telling me this is a crazy idea it's never gonna work really wow and then on the application i was faced with have you ever been convicted with (laughs) oh no yeah so i i got hit with that again and i'm like fuck i'm never gonna find a spot i'm trying to find other people to put their names down nobody wanted to put their names down and uh i remember on craigslist i saw this ad and of the the space uh where we, we we got and um and it was this old buddhist lady and she believed like very spiritual beautiful calm nice person and and she was just like you know I believe in you and there was there was more offers on the table like there was like other people like that jumped on it I remember when we went and go they opened up the doors uh they opened they to see it there was like four people behind me and uh we went in there and I was like, hey, I'll take it right away. And so I applied and the lady gave me a chance. And
0: uh, With it, checking we, the box, you still have to check the box that said, yes, I'm a felon. Yeah. Wow. Uh,
1: we were there for three years and then I moved. Uh, we, we couldn't hold the people that we held there. We only had 12 slots. Because wow. it, was, it was like you outgrew it. 500 square feet. Uh, workout space, and so we were super tight. Uh, I was literally like a prison cell, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, we outgrew it, and then we moved uh, down the block.
0: Uh, there's so much here. Um, the, the idea of taking the formerly incarcerated individuals and having a space for them. To, to do amazing things that they're capable of doing. How do you now get their attention and how do they find out about you?
1: Uh, so a lot of them find out about me through press and, and they don't have like lots of media. They don't have the internet. Right. Um, so I've, I've been contacted by like a whole bunch of inmates. They write me letters. Really? Um, yeah, I get fan jail now every week. You know, like it's crazy.
0: How But how do they find out about you if they don't have access? Where do they but find
1: they, you? They get magazines. And so, like, I've been featured on Men's Health, Men's Fitness, wow. Wow. Uh, wow. all these magazines that they, the guys read in there. And That's so I've wow. uh, been contacted through there. You know, they, they find out my info and they send me a letter. You know, and it's wow. it's crazy. I've, I've gotten thousands of letters now. Uh, just from inmates saying like, I want to, I want to work with you. I want to, you you wow. I've been training in the yard for like 10, 15 years. You know, Holy
0: uh, crap. And what, 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 what do you do with each and every letter? I'm sure that you're, you still love and appreciate, right? It's your, it, it's where you were. So you get it, yeah, but like what, so what can you do? Or like, what is your goal for each letter? What can you try to do?
1: I, I want to respond. You know, but I I can't. I don't really have the time for it, and so I'm trying to get help with uh, our clients who want to do like letter outreach work for our, you know people that are that are contacting us, so we could keep wow. you know, some type of you know communication correspondence. But wow, um, yeah.
0: And then I mean, how did how did Second Chance Studios come about? Tell us about this.
1: Yeah, so Second Chance Studios is a nonprofit organization that we started. Uh, last year, and so basically, it came about because I started my own podcast. Um, I call I call it X Dealer X Junkie. Is with one of my trainers. He was the X Junkie. I was the X Dealer. Uh, we don't like to use X the word X, but it is just catchy. And um, and so basically, we talk about like current events in the criminal justice space and our past about you know dealing with drugs and using drugs hmm. and all that stuff. Anyway, so I got uh approached by a friend of mine. His name is Ravi Gupta, and he has an incredible podcast himself. And so he reached out and he was like, I want to get involved with the criminal justice space. Do you think like these people will be interested uh hmm. you know learning more about podcasting and video production and all that stuff? And I was like, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I was like, Let's do it, you know. And I don't know. I never really say no to any opportunity. I just jump on board and like figure it out. And so, uh, we started it. Uh, we raised a good amount of funds so we could get the program started. So we are basically starting an apprenticeship. We, we call them fellows. Uh, they'll be going through a whole year program and then we'll be doing job placements afterwards. So they'll do, uh, externship for companies like MailChimp like, yeah, anybody that has a podcast, um, the moth um, wow. or, and cleaning up audio stuff and a bunch of work.
0: What I started this conversation with is that there's just so much, you are a businessman in every single sense. You are an entrepreneur and everything we've spoken about before, during and after all of those Pivotal points of your life, you can see how how like um, identifying your your target audience and how to reach out and marketing yourself and positioning yourself everything that every entrepreneur and business person in any industry has to do. Even to what you just said a few moments ago about when I said how are the inmates finding you you said well you've done pr where you've been featured in the magazines so deliberate or not you've gotten yourself in front of the very people that you want to continue to help and work with and partner with and it's just extraordinary
1: yeah it's crazy it's crazy
0: when did when did you start to realize that this because you you have you have this story that is, that literally just goes on for days, right? Like I said earlier, we could pinpoint any of these topics and go deep into it all day, Um, which, which is amazing because you're not necessarily unique. I believe that we all just, if we look for them, we have our stories. Yours just happens to be this one, but we can all, you know, not, we all have our own version, of that yeah. yeah when did you start realizing that um, you have a story that actually people are intrigued about and want to hear when did that start? when was that tipping point?
1: I think when I started being honest with myself and just just telling people and being open with what I've done in the past and so uh, when I when I was looking for job opportunities, you know, I would always be ashamed of like, hey, this happened in my life, you know, and I've been impacted by the system and I was scared to walk that ground. And as as I started opening up more and telling more people about it, like people started feeling more comfortable with my truth. And mm. and then it just started expanding from there. Um, but I also joined this, this uh, like, incubator entrepreneur program when i came out of prison it's called the five ventures they they believe that illegal entrepreneurs could become legal entrepreneurs and and they helped me really cultivate my story and like you know how to share your story in 30 seconds how to share your story in one minute you know how to do a longer pitch um and they connected me with like ted after they heard my stuff and um i got to do my first ted talk and the second and the third and so um, it became, you know, an eye-opening experience because people started adapting my truth, you know, and, and didn't care where I came from. They really cared about where I was going.
0: Let's leave it with this. Everything you've done and everything you're doing, I know Cosbody, uh, uh, body. con Conbody, right? Close, same thing, really, right? Conbody um, now is Conbody Live, Right. That's your, give us a quick, a quick thing. Cause I'm a Peloton user. Uh, so I understand that aspect, but what is Combody? Live. Yes.
1: And we have a, a live stream platform. So there's people that could come into the studio or you could live stream it straight from home or all you need is your body weight with small constraint space and, and our instructors, you know, so okay. you don't need much. You don't need a fancy Peloton bike to do what we do. <laughs> you know, there's a So Wow. Save your money. Work out with us is definitely way more affordable, and and that's our concept.
0: Extraordinary. Where is costs going in five, ten, twenty plus years? You have that plan. What 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 in the world is 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 happening?
1: Yeah, I mean, my my goal is to help like change a lot of the policies that have been affecting like minority communities in the criminal justice space. You know, we see. In New York alone, 95% of the people that are incarcerated are black or brown people. Mm. You know, So how do we, you know, restructure these policies that are targeting these individuals and, and re-changing, you know, yeah, they might be doing something wrong, but how can we prevent that, you know, from happening or why are they doing this? Because of lack of opportunities, you know, or they just see something else. Like, let's bring these kids or people that, are going to be impacted by the system like let's find alternative ways you know so definitely want to do like more advocacy work um i want to hire as many people coming out of the prison system uh you know maybe one day i could ipo combody, you know and, and take it public And so
0: so exciting um i I think that anybody listening, if you just Google or YouTube Cost Marte, it'll keep you busy for days. But anything <laughs> specific you want to uh, drive them to to keep the conversation going?
1: Yeah, you could check out combody.com or you could hit me up on, on Instagram. I'm pretty responsive on the, on the DM on, on direct messages there. So at C-O-N-B-O-D-Y, just hit me up.
0: Awesome. Thank you kindly, sir. It's been an extraordinary conversation with you. I appreciate
1: it. I appreciate you.
0: Hey, you made it to the end of the episode. Doesn't it feel great to start something and finish it? I love that feeling. Here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to my website, joshcarry.com slash podcast, and let me know exactly what you loved most about this episode. What did you learn? What did you discover? What are you going to do next? And I'm going to send you a free gift as my way of saying thanks. I appreciate you taking your time to tune in today. We'll do it again soon.